the Cage podcast. We react to the Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington rematch. I sit down and speak with Tiago Alves, who is killing it right now in bare knuckle. And should Stipe get an immediate title rematch? We discuss it all. Colby Covington's whole sh- MAGA shtick, he has been playing it up a lot less recently. Since, basically since the election, um, he hasn't done it as much as he used to. Apparently, he finally threw away that hat. He's still being kind of an a-hole, right? You saw the whole you know leaking footage of Dustin Poirier sparring and all this stuff. But that kind of, and, and in many ways, it's, I wouldn't say like a Conor McGregor, but, but I see the connections of a confidence builder, right? Like, as long as you're kicking ass, people listen to this stuff. Or they pay attention to this stuff. As soon as you're not, it's just annoying. It's annoying to a lot of people anyway, right? He has a very unique, uniquely crappy shtick that the whole point is to annoy a lot of people, and he does that. But do you think losing to Kamaru Usman, especially because if he does, there's a good chance he loses by knockout and looks so much of the last fight, do you think that's the end of his shtick? I think we might see him turn it up. I think we might, he might go full Connor, which is like, all right, fine, I'll just go all the way with it. Because if going halfway didn't win and people are getting tired of it, I might as well go all the way and see if I can go full heel. I think that is certainly a possibility. KOB, do you think it's more likely we see less of his shtick or more of his shtick should he, should he lose? I think we'll see more of it. I tend to agree with you. I think that he can't just drop it. So I think in a loss, it'll just probably get turned up to just keep his name out there. I agree. I, I That's what I think he'll do. I think he'll just turn up more. Because if, if you're not going to watch me fight, you're going to listen to me talk. If you're going to listen to him talk, it's not going to be a lecture on any intellectual subject you want to hear. It's going to be his shtick, right? It's going to be on the political side. That's when you're going to hear this. Well... That's what he's going to do, and I think it's going to get uh, it's going to get a lot bigger. Will fans be kind of more tired of it? Possibly. I think they're pretty tired of it now, and it just happened to work for the time it did. Um, but a lot of it's going to hinge on his performance against Kamaru Usman. If he beats Kamaru, it's one of those things. Okay, here, here's another question that I want to throw out there: Will he get worse if he wins or if he loses? Because I think he'll get worse if he wins too. Imagine him as champion. Kel, like, it would be horrible. It would be absolutely awful, but he would go all the way, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. I think regardless if he wins or loses, he's going to turn up the whole gimmick. But I think it's going to be ten times worse if he wins because he's on top of the world at that point in his eyes. Oh, my God. I don't want to think about that. But, yeah, he probably will. That's just his nature. I think he will. The flip side of this, and I think it's important. Um. Are fans getting behind Kamar Usman in a way they didn't before? I think so, and here's why. Kamaru Usman was a guy, to start out his career, just didn't get a lot of finishes, right? It just, it just was what it was. He just didn't get a lot of finishes. So when he was decisioning everybody, that was a knock on him, right? Up until the Colby Covington fight was, you know, uh, snoozeman and all the dumb stuff that, that you know, uh, Kobe Covington would say, technically and tactically, you can at least go, yeah, he does win a lot of decisions, right? I think he won, what was it, nine in a row at one point? 
no, not in a row, but it was one. It was just for his UFC career. It was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He's won nine decisions in the UFC. That is extremely rare. And there was a time when he had them almost all in a row. Only the Sergio Morais knockout was kind of in the middle of all of them. But since then, knocks out Kobe Covington, decisions of Masvidal, knocks out Gilbert Burns, uh, knocks out Jorge Masvidal. He's becoming a better and better finisher. And I think that, combined with Dana White's unrelenting praise of him, keep that in mind as well, where Dana White, you know, notoriously stingy when it comes to his praise, is putting him in the same class as GSP, saying he could be an all-time great and all this stuff, right? So that's kind of the thing for me is that those things combined make him more of a fan favorite than he ever was before. I was stunned how well his pay-per-views have done, right? Now, of course, it was against Jorge Masvidal. You can argue that was Masvidal bringing in a lot of the views, whatever. He's red hot. But I think at least part of that shine is Kamar Usman. So I think if they met again, which they will later on this year when they, when they do, I think the vast majority of the crowd is going to be behind Kamaru Usman. And I wouldn't have said that for their first fight. I thought it was a passionate 50-50. I thought it was about 50-50, and both sides were very passionate about who they supported. right? And even people that weren't big fans of Kamaru Usman were like, yeah, but I hope he creams Colby Covington. right? There was a lot of like anti-Colby Covington sentiment that translated to a pro Kamara Usman uh, sentiment. Is that fair, KOB? I think so. You would think at this point. It does feel like Usman has started to gain more of a fan interest now with the finishes he's been putting on, and just people hate Kobe. So you would think he goes in there with a ton of fan support against Covington. What I never get, what I don't understand, is people like Kobe Covington always seem so incredibly sensitive to criticism. And yet they do everything they can to invite all the criticism they possibly can. And I'll never get that push and pull. I will never understand that. Everybody who knows me, anyone who's a fan of me, anyone who listens to my voice or whatever, I don't do very much on social media. I don't put a lot out there. I just don't, right? I, you know, I don't have a lot of photos of me with WWE people because I'm working. I don't have time to stop somebody and go, hey, let's take a selfie. Or that. Like, I don't do that, okay? And it's just not in my nature to do that. It's not in my nature to put a lot out there. And so people that do, like Kobe Covington, who puts out a lot of negative stuff, and then seems really, man, you're all mistreating me. All I do is get a bunch of hate. You're all a bunch of haters. Said that famously to the UFC uh, panel, right, when he got into it with Michael Bisping. He seems so sensitive for a guy who just seems to live to push buttons. And it's so weird to me. I'll never, ever, ever understand it. I don't get what is behind it, right? What is is motivating somebody like that? Because I don't get it. If you put out a bunch of crap, be ready for the criticism, right? If you're not, don't do that. And he seems so butthurt all the time about not getting his respect and all this stuff when he always does all this stuff to lose respect. I can't crack that code. It doesn't make sense to me. Cal, do you have any ideas? No, I feel like ultimately... I I don't know. I think in Colby's case, maybe this all comes from a weird place of like insecurity since he really has never been at the, like he can't be Kamaru and he's just talking a lot of trash. But he was like that before he fought Kamaru. It wasn't like the loss of Kamaru suddenly brought this out in him, you know? 
I don't know. I really don't understand Colby at all. Like, I really don't. I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. Well, because his whole thing about it being a shtick, right? Where it's like, you know, he told you know they they, they he told a fan. He goes, well, you know, oh, well, you know, why aren't you humble more of the time? He's like, it doesn't sell. I get to a degree making up a shtick that sells more, right? I kind of get that. I don't agree with it, but I get it. But if it's an act, right? If it's a shtick and it's an act, criticism of you and of that shtick aren't really criticisms of you because it's fake. Do you know about the whole um, Anthony Hopkins Silence of the Lambs thing? You know who he was dating at the time, by the way? I do not. Martha Stewart. Anthony Hopkins used to date Martha Stewart, right? Intriguing. Yeah. And so he did Silence of the Lambs. And they broke up right after the movie came out. Do you know why? Because he got too big? It scared her. She said, I couldn't look at him and not see Dr. Hannibal Lecter. It literally, he played the character so well that Martha Stewart said, like, I would see him and get, like, creeped out. Like, it, like, freaked me out. Which is insane how good his performance is. Right? Kelly, tell me you've seen Silence of the Lambs. No, I haven't. Just no good movies. You were raised to not watch good movies? Oh, my God. So, so Kelby, is it not... The great, one of the greatest horror performances of all time, Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Of course. Right. So the funny thing is, is that criticism of Dr. Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins doesn't take personally because it's a character. It's a shtick, right? It's an act. It's literally an act. He doesn't really exist. So when you say Hannibal Lecter is a terrible person, he doesn't take that personally because it's, it's a role he's playing. If Colby Covington is playing a role, why is he so goddamn sensitive about what everybody thinks about him? I'll, I, 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 I don't ever get it. And I think Colby Covington kind of putting so much on the line last time against Kamar Usman, raising the stakes in the way he did. It's going to be hard to come back from that. Because one thing about his stick is you stop listening at a certain point. When you got, you know, knocked out by this dude, and his golden ticket that he won't let go of is Mark Goddard stopped it too early, it shouldn't have been stopped. I don't believe any of that. That was a completely valid stoppage. And even if it wasn't, he was about, he was going to lose anyway. He was losing the round. Right? Like 10 seconds left of the round, he was getting beaten up. He was going to lose that fight. It's the idea that for a guy who's always out there and doing his thing the way he's doing it, he seems so sensitive. And it's a similar thing with Conor McGregor about, I don't care about the opinion of you bums at home. Okay, then why are you putting it on Twitter? If you don't care about somebody's opinion, why are you always soliciting that opinion? Why are you always catering to that opinion? It's effing weird. It's really weird. So, Kobe Covington, Kamaru Usman, I think the fans will be behind Kamaru Usman. The problem the UFC is going to have at some point is they're going to run out of contenders for Kamaru Usman. They really, 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 really need to come up with guys at 170. Boxing lives on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Do you think Joe Joyce beats Anthony Joshua or Oleksandr Usyk? I think he can. I don't think he will. Ways being trained now, I think he has the ability, the stamina, gotta become more flexible and use his body. Take his body with him when he punches straight up. Just can't do it. Can't take punches from heavyweights like that. At the fights, Mondays and Fridays from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Channel 156. One of my favorite fighters, one of my favorite guys to talk to about fighting, Tiago Alves, BKFC middleweight champ. How you doing, bud? 
doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem at all, my man. The first thing I wanted to ask you that I ended up asking the audience is, does it take a, a different mentality or a special kind of mentality to compete in bare knuckle as opposed to MMA or boxing, man? Is there is is it a special kind of person that's willing to do that? I gotta know. Uh, I don't think so, man. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a fighter heart. I'm a dog. You know, so once you have that in you. You know, it's just different weapons you got to use, you know. The fight itself is the same. You still got to win. You still got to prepare yourself mentally and physically. You know, you just go about it in a different way because you're using different weapons, you know. But for me, it doesn't really change, you know. It's just a different challenge, different weapons I got to use, you know. But the mindset mentality is the same. You know? It's kill or be killed. Uh, but the training itself, man, the conditioning itself, the number one injury – of combat sports athletes is we break our hands all the time, right? Boxers do it all the time. Mixed martial arts do it all the time. They're fragile bones, and we're asking a lot of them. How is the training different considering the field uh, is kind of just getting big? BKFC is just getting big. How hard is it to find training partners? How hard is it to find sparring partners or coaches that specialize in it? Uh, not, not hard at all. You know, it's, uh, uh, moving for, coming from American Top Team, man, we're a university of ass-kicking. You know, we're, we're pretty good at pretty much everything. You know, grappling, striking, you name it. We know we have, you know, high-level coaches and high-level training partners also. But, you know, I went outside of my comfort zone. You know, uh, I've been working with Derek Santos. You know, he's a big-time trainer here in South Florida. You know, coach a lot of uh, world champions. So I do a hybrid of books. You know, uh, I have my straight-up boxing coach that just, you know, focus on boxing from the mentals and, and the stuff that I need to get bad at. You know, at the same time, I'm sparring with high-level pro boxers, you know, and then I switch a little bit and go work at American Top Team, you know, where I have, you know, my, my MMA uh, training partners, my MMA coaches also, because a bare-knuckle boxing is a high breed of boxing, you know. It's not straight-up boxing because you can do the dirty boxing. You can clinch in a punch. Uh, you can punch in a clinch. You know, you can do a, a few things that kind of, like, breaks that – boxing you know from from happening if you want to you can always close the distance and, and grapple a little bit you know so uh i think the perfect combination it's it's a mix of both you know straight up boxing and then mma boxing as well and uh, uh training partners man it's not it's not bad at all you know preparation it's not bad at all i think it's a lot easier on your body than mma because you know you just focus on hands you know hands and head movement and a little bit of clinch you know once once that happens but uh you don't have to worry about knees, elbows, you know, the grappling. And most of your injuries, and most of my injuries at least, uh, it happens when, you know, uh, the grappling happens. Between the grappling, the striking, you know, when you make that, that transition you know, in between, when you're trying to escape a takedown, that's when most of the injuries happen. So preparation for a bare boxing fight, it's super easy on your body, you know. Like I'll say the damage that I used to take in an MMA fight compared to uh, an MMA training camp compared to a, a bare boxing it's literally 20%, you know, of the damage I used to take because, again, you don't have to worry uh, about all the weapons that involve in MMA. You don't have to worry about the grappling. So getting ready for a burnout boxing fight, it's a lot easier in your body than getting ready for an MMA fight. That's for sure. I, I, I got to ask, man, talking to Tiago Alves, of course, BKFC middleweight champion, your Muay Thai is so good. How hard is it to train yourself not to throw those elbows and knees in the clinch, man? Because you have great elbows and you have great Muay Thai, man. How hard is it to not do that when you first started? 
Uh, in the first fight, it was a little bit of adjustment, you know, just because the muscle memory kicks in once you're in a zone, once you're locked in. I saw that leg right in front of me and almost kick him uh, inside, outside. You know, sometimes in the clinch, uh, I, I'm able to grab, uh, uh, make a clinch behind the neck, you know, the knee is always there. But because I've been, you know, a high-level athlete my, my whole life, it's easy for me to train my body to do certain things and follow certain patterns. You know, and, and so that, like, made the transition a little bit. Of course, the second fight, it, it was a lot more natural for me because I've been, you know, making the transition for a little bit over a year. So it was a lot easier. But my first fight, dude, I almost kicked him in the inside, an inside low kick, outside low kick because the leg was right there. It was right and there, was, right? He's putting so much weight right on it. Oh. asking for it. So it's like, you know what, I'm doing that right now, but we'll, we'll, we'll make, make do. Uh, speaking of leg kicks, man, uh, American Top Team product that you are, Dustin Poirier, his win over Conor McGregor, man. Of course, everybody talking about it. And, and I don't know, the, the one thing I saw was the, the, the first rematch where, where Poirier knocked him out, McGregor looked good in the first round. This was the first time in their trilogy where Poirier just all around looked like the better fighter. How hard will it be for a guy like Conor McGregor, who's used to people kind of being in awe of him? Nobody was in awe of him after that last fight. I thought Poirier looked all around better. How how does he mentally come back from that, man? The DP is a stud, man. You know, uh, I think uh, nothing's going to beat hard work. You know, uh, he put in a lot of work when McGregor was out. You know, after mm. the first time that they met, you know, DP just switch weight class and just got better and better, you know, in, in the heat of the, the moment, you know, he got better going through high level fighters and you know, then he got better inside of that cage fighting the highest level, you know, athletes at, 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 in that organization. So, you know, he, he had that, that confidence uh, in, in his back pocket knowing that when it comes down to bite down the mouthpiece and throw down and see who's going to fall first, you know, he, he knows that he can hang, you know, better than anybody in that weight class. So, you know, it's a lot of uh, just maturity and getting to know himself as a man and as a fighter as well. You know, if you look at his record, you know, compared to McGregor's record, you know, when, when McGregor went on his little hiatus, you know, kind of uh, abandoned the sport a little bit. And this sport's unforgiving, man. You know, uh, uh, there is no, nothing is given or everything is earned. And DP earned everything the hard way, you know. So we knew that. We had the confidence, the durability. We knew that if the longer the fight goes, DP always gets better. You know, so the first fight when they met, DP had a little bit of hesitation going in, you know, because it's pretty normal. You got knocked out the first time that you fought. Now, uh, the first round, we knew that it was going to be a filling out process. But, you know, even though McGregor connects a few uh, clean punches, you know, DP made some damage in the second round as well. You know, his calf was already damaged going into the second round. And then you saw what happened in the second round and that that, first, that that second fight. In the third fight, there was no more mystery. He knew exactly who he was facing. He knew exactly you know, the whole aura that, that, that Conor McGregor used to have was gone. You know, uh, in the beginning, nobody knew who Conor McGregor was. You know, his style, that is not, there wasn't that much uh, footage on him for us to study. Today is a whole different animal. We know that 145 was pretty tall, packed a lot of power for 145. But 155, he's just another guy at that, you know, uh, top 10, top 5. So we know that physically, mentally, and technically, you know, we have the better fighter. So it's just a matter of him going out there and do what he does. You know, when it comes down to the hidden moment, that diamond always shines. So if 
it, it was very cool to see that, you know, uh, to follow him through this his last uh, seven fights. Well, his next fight, probably, almost certainly, against fellow Brazilian, of course, you're Brazilian, <laughs> a fellow Brazilian, in Charles Oliveira, who is, I think, right now, with Dustin Poirier, Maybe the most skilled guy in the division. There's nowhere he looks bad. His jiu-jitsu is absolutely phenomenal. His striking is very, very sharp, very, very good. What do you think of that preliminary? As you think about it in your head, what are your thoughts on that fight, man? Uh, dude, it's going to be a war. You know? Both yeah. guys pay their dues. Both guys have been in an organization for a very long time, fighting nothing but the best. You know, uh, So it'll be an awesome fight to watch. I'm going to go with Dustin, of course, because that's my guy, you know, and I know uh, what he brings to the table, you know. I think DP will be able to drown and uh, Charles Oliveira as the fight goes on, you know. Uh, his striking is bad, it's cleaner. You know, DP can hit hard, you know, for 25 minutes. He won't get tired, you know. He only gets stronger as the fight goes on. Uh, Grappling-wise, wrestling, you know, I think DP has a better wrestling. Jiu-Jitsu, of course, Oliveira has more submissions under his belt, but DP is no slouch on the ground. Uh, he'll be able, I think the grappling wise, you know, because it has a better wrestling, it's going to be harder for Oliveira to take him down. And if he takes him down, DP will be able to neutralize his, uh, uh, ground game. And on a stand up, I have DP all day, every day. So I see a, a, a tough fight, but I see a shining at the end of it. You know, the longer the fight goes on, you know, the, the tougher DP gets. So, uh, if that fight happens in the future and I think it will, you know, we're going to have another belt there, American top team, no doubt. All right, before I let you go, man, what's next for you, buddy? You know what fight's on the horizon? Uh, right now I'm waiting. You know, uh, I had three fights under my contract, yeah. but I had a clause in there. If I become a champion, now we're going to renegotiate the contract. Right now we're in the renegotiation process. You know, we'll see how it goes. As you know, I had surgery on my middle finger yeah. after the last fight. I'm still rehabbing, so I won't be able to compete until the end of the year, maybe begin of uh, of next year. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, I'm happy where I'm at. You know, I, I'm, I accomplished everything I set out to accomplish in this business, you know, in the fighting business. So uh, I, I'm happy to walk away right now, you know, unless the money, you know, the offer that they're going to make me, it makes sense. If not, I'll be walking away, no problem. Well, if you walk away, you had a great career. If you keep fighting, I hope you get paid, brother. Thank you so much for joining us. Thiago Alves, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, bud. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Sirius XM presents an exclusive podcast. Comic-Con begins. Comics, science fiction, monster movies, Star Trek, fantasy, Star Wars. Learn how a group of high school comic book fans, children were going to the back of a dirty bookstore, started what became the biggest annual pop culture event in the world. Geeks are running Hollywood now. Comic-Con changed my life. Comic-Con begins, a six-part series. All episodes available now on the SXM app. Download today, free from most subscribers would you look at the mount rushmore of mma right we say who is the best in these particular who are the top four of all time who are the best in their particular divisions one name that i think is criminally overlooked but it is what it is is stipe miacic why jimmy why greatest ufc heavyweight of all time his only competition for greatest heavyweight of all time period is fedor emilianenko uh, it's so difficult to, to, to separate those two guys. I won't even try to get into that debate right now. But criminally underrated, historically just not given the, the, the credit he has required, partly because of how the UFC treated him. Now, do you remember um, about this whole Francis Ngannou and, and the interim title and all this stuff? And 
Ariel Hawani tweeted out that they're always threatening to strip fighters or to have an interim belt or something like that. They're always threatening to do that. And one fighter they always pulled this trigger on was Stipe Miocic. They were always telling him, fine, we're going to strip you. Fine, all right, cool, we're going to strip you then. Oh, you don't want to fight? They said they, they threatened Stipe Miocic with that over and over and over again. It always seemed like he was the champion that the UFC didn't want, but he wouldn't lose. He wouldn't get out of the way and just lose, but they wouldn't give him the respect that I feel he deserved. They wouldn't give it to him. So he always felt like, before we even begin this conversation, like the unwanted champion of the UFC, the most dominant unwanted champion in UFC history. Is that fair, KOB? When you look at dominant champions, he's probably the most unwanted dominant champion in UFC history. Is that a fair point to make? I don't know. Who's more? GSP, maybe? But they, they seem to make money with GSP. They seem to get along well. Remind me what you're talking about with unwanted champion. Like, he's unwanted. Like, he never seemed to get along with Dana. He never seemed to get the credit he deserved. He was always at war with Dana. And yet, he was a dominant champion with an incredible run. That's pretty rare. Most dominant champions in UFC history. And by the way, never got in trouble. I know John Jones is an issue, but John Jones got in trouble, and his issues were outside of the octagon. Stipe never got in trouble, never made the UFC look bad. Always won, usually won by knockout, and yet was always seen to be at war with Dana White and disrespected. Is that fair? DJ wasn't DJ, at war, yeah. but he did feel it. It's just because of the division. Yeah, yeah. Didn't get the respect he deserved, but you could also say, fair or not, it's like, well, yeah, the division wasn't great. And it wasn't like, you know, Dana trashed him all the time, which he seemed to do with Stipe all the time. It seemed less personal. With DJ. Does that make sense? It seemed like, oh, he just doesn't draw the numbers, but, you know, what do you want? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like, he, it never really felt like DJ and the UFC were at war. It was just that for for everything they tried, they just couldn't get fan interest in him. So I would say a little bit more just because of the division. Not that, like, he wasn't amazing to watch. Maybe DJ. But in terms of this kind of back and forth, yeah, maybe Stipe. And when you look at the champs he beat, when you look at Stipe Mitch's record, there isn't anybody he ducked. There isn't anybody that um, – there, there were no former champions that when he faced me didn't knock him the hell out. He just ripped up everybody. And one thing about DJ is you could go, look, there wasn't much of a division out there. I, you know, to name three or four guys he beat, uh, your Irish friend just can't do it, right? Stevie beat Daniel, beat Daniel Cormier, Francis Ngannou, Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overeem, Fabrice Overdoom, Andre Arlovsky, Mark Hunt, everybody, everybody. And usually by knockout. So that's the interesting thing to me is what he accomplished and how he was treated were so vastly different. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair at all. At all. So this is what Stipe Miocic had to say on his official, I believe it's his Instagram. That's what I'm looking at right now, I believe. Um, I shouldn't have to wait for a winner. I have the most heavyweight title defenses of all time. We were one and one. But DC got instant rematches and trilogies against me. Is there anything you could argue about that? Is there anything you could say about it? I don't know. He's he's right, right? He's right. 
Also, he kind of made, it was, I don't know if he reached out. Let me see here. I'm trying to get the details here. Um, since Ngana won the title, he was supposed to clash with Lewis to defend his belt, but that matchup was scrapped after the Cameroon native was unable to compete in August, and the UFC decided to introduce an interim championship instead. Regardless, Mijic feels he's being made to wait instead of facing Ngana immediately to settle their trilogy once and for all. I'm looking at MMAfighting.com. As far as his interest in one championship, it remains to be seen if Miocic is actually serious or just dropping the note to drum up interest and bring attention to his frustrations over the heavyweight picture in the UFC. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, right? It is. It is. But he's not wrong, is he? He's not. I, I, th- I feel like a little bit. Um, I'm not saying he should definitely be in line next. Um... Like you kind of got your one in your rematch with DC. That's the way I look at it. Like he didn't have you to fight again. You got your one trilogy or what? No, I'm saying like he was the most dominant champion. Okay, yeah. And DC beat him. DC then fought Derek Lewis, but Stipe didn't have to fight again before he got another crack at DC. So you kind of got your one already. I kind of feel, and then you beat DC in the trilogy. We we all wanted to see it, and the heavyweight division didn't really have a clear cut number one contender yet. So it made sense. But Ngannou knocked you out, and he. Stuffed your takedowns, and you got caught. And looked I kinda, a lot better. Yeah, looked a lot right. better than the first time around you guys fought. I don't know. I kind of feel like Stipe should have to take one more. I, I feel like he got his one freebie without having to fight already with DC. So here's here's an interesting point to make here is the reason we're seeing Stipe reacting the way he's reacting and being as, um, you know, beating the drum as much as he is. He's 38 years old. He's 38. You're not in your prime forever. And I think he knows if he doesn't get a title shot in the next year, year and a half, he's just going to be too old to compete. Right? You just want to take the, the the miles he's had to take on his body and go through another camp and get ready for another, you know, get ready for uh, a, another heavyweight, another great athlete. He doesn't want to deal with that right now. He just doesn't. So he's kind of looking for a quicker path to the title. The problem is you're going to see the interim. Here's how it's laid out right now. Cyril gone taking on Derek Lewis in Houston for an interim belt that isn't worth the brass and leather it is made out of, right? It is not worth anything. That winner of that is definitely going to take on Nganu, hopefully November, December. But that's if Cyril gone and Derek Lewis don't beat the ever-living dog piss out of one another. In which case, they get the winner is going to need a suspension. Is going to need a little bit of time. Um, if we don't see that, and we see a comparatively quick turnaround, you're looking at November, December, right? Now, if we look at that, then it's Stipe, maybe spring of next year, and that's how long without a fight, and that's coming off a loss. Remember the loss to Francis Ngannou, March of 2021. That's when he lost that fight, right? So he could go an entire year without fighting, an entire year without a camp, and then get ready for a murderer like that, you know, spring of next year. He doesn't want to do that. The problem is, is there are a lot of, you know, young, hungry, tough heavyweights that are not stepping stones that Stipe would have to get get over in order to win. And that is not easy. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. 
The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rios. Serious XM Podcasts.